Parish is Thursday, July 14th, and this is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me, and uh, we're in the second five-day period of the July evaluation period. It's now underway. Uh, coaches and assistants are on the road from coast to coast. Uh, neither of us went out this week. We were both at Peach Jam last week. We'll both be in Las Vegas uh, next week, but we are home right now. And you know, when we recorded the last podcast, it was late last Thursday night, early on Friday, uh, more specifically uh, several hours before Larry Brown actually resigned uh, from SMU in a bit of a surprising slash bizarre move. I don't want to spend too much time on it, Norlander, because it feels like it was uh, decades ago at this point, but it is something we had not discussed. What did you make of Larry Brown um, resigning uh, in the uh, opening days of the July evaluation period from SMU after four seasons? Uh, yeah, a couple quick thoughts on this. One, it was weird that it happened on that morning of all mornings because as we spoke on the podcast, Dallas, where SMU is based, was going through a huge, massive tragedy that was that became worldwide news. And so for that to have gotten out the morning after um, the, the death of five police officers was just – it felt weird. It felt tactless. Um, and then the SMU athletic director basically said, I, I feel – unfortunately compelled to put a statement on this just because this is a major news event with our uh with our university and i'm getting media requests so the whole thing had a weird feel to it um and for for larry brown to have done this in the middle of a july evaluation period uh you could say it's typical larry brown but you just don't normally see this happen um you know tim jankovich who is now the head coach he was the associate head coach under larry brown he was in peach jam the day before we saw him in those gyms and so then I, I went to the Peach Jam kind of looking around for him, see if I could even talk to him, get a quote. As you were writing the column on Larry Brown, he had flown back to Dallas late uh, the night before or right up early in the morning because he had to address the team uh, before he got back out on the road recruiting. Uh, it's not a good look for Larry Brown. And you know it's you know it's bad in any given sport when many pundits – Leading voices uh, that cover that sport basically all have no choice but to land on the same theme and hammer it home. And you, Dan O'Neill, Pat Forey, Jeff Eisenberg, Jeff Goodman went on television, said it. There are there are many more like just relentless attacks on Larry Brown just because it's it's not a great look at all. You can get into the details real quick if you want. I was surprised that it happened like this. But the thing that listeners should realize is, unfortunately, Larry Brown was also in a situation where selfishly, he wanted more years. He wanted a longer extension. He wasn't going to get that. And so basically it looks like he and his agent waited as long as possible to try and get this done. And when it was clear that it was not going to get done, he felt it more appropriate to up and leave SMU now than to stick it out even for one more season, which I don't I don't like whatsoever. But it's just a fact of matter how it happened. And, uh, and yeah, I, now I wonder if this will be his last coaching stop or not because he is 75 years old. He is 75 years old. He turned 76 in September. The way this went down, I'm told, from talking to multiple sources on all sides of this thing, is that Larry obviously wanted a contract extension. Uh, the same reason any coach wants a contract extension. They've tricked agents and coaches, uh, tricked athletic directors years ago. We've talked about this on the podcast before into thinking you have to have at least four year deal on the, you know, uh, signed and sealed or else you can't, um, 
you can't successfully recruit because other coaches will tell players that guy only has two years left on his contract. That guy only has one year left on his contract. There's no guarantee he's really going to actually be there to coach you, uh, you know, next year, your sophomore year, your junior year, your senior year. Uh, obviously, anybody sophisticated understands that that's just uh, silly. Uh, even if a guy has a 10-year contract, it doesn't guarantee that he's going to coach anywhere next year. Um, the length of a contract in college basketball does not matter at all. And yet, for whatever reason, athletic directors haven't been able to figure this out. So Larry was asking for uh, more security. He wanted a five-year deal that would have, as I pointed out in the column, taken him to the age of 80, which is four years past the average life expectancy of an American male. The, the average American male these days lives to be 76 years old. Larry Brown wanted a contract extension to coach Division One basketball. That would take him four years past that. Beyond that, um, literally nobody in any of the research I've done, and if, please, if you're listening and you think, and I'm missing somebody, tweet me and point it out. Um, I can't find anybody who's ever successfully coached at the Division One level at 80 years old. Like, nobody. I don't even mean, like, can't find anybody who made the Final Four or can't find anybody who made the 16. I can't find anybody who's, like, been a relevant college basketball coach at the Division One level at the age of 80. Larry is already the oldest guy, uh, best I can tell, to ever coach in an NCAA tournament, Division I NCAA tournament, and that was at the age 74. So the contract extension was just silly. Like, why would you give a 75-year-old man a five-year contract extension? Like, it can't do anything except get you uh, in trouble. So SMU was forever resistant to that. Um, they were offering, at one point, a three-year deal. So this goes on for a while. Like, the negotiations are back and forth. Larry wants five. SMU will, is willing to go three. The NCAA investigation and subsequent nine-game suspension for Larry and uh, the postseason ban really soured uh, the relationship between Larry and the administration, I'm told. Because if you go back and think about the day they hired Larry Brown, they really had to sell it. The same way, frankly, Kentucky had to uh, upfront discuss John Calipari's NCAA issues when they introduced him as coach. If you remember Mitch Barnhart, you know, at the press conference, like they addressed all of John's baggage, for lack of a better uh, term. And, and SMU was, you know, forced to do the same thing when they hired Larry because he had only coached at two different spots uh, in college basketball before, and he had left both of them with NCAA issues. And so uh, I don't remember the the word-for-word uh, rationalization for hiring Larry Brown, but it was mostly like those things were uh, probably overblown. Those things were way in his past. He's a different guy. This is a different time. Everything will be fine. And then it wasn't fine. NCAA investigators were on campus. They found violations. Like a kid had to leave school. An assistant had to be sacrificed, even though they said he resigned for, quote, personal reasons. That that was never true. And Larry Brown was hit with... Um, you know, a coach control charge. It, it cost him games and it cost SMU an appearance in the SC, in the uh, NCAA tournament, not to mention the American Athletic Conference tournament. And so the administration was like, yo, man, you burned us a little bit here. Whether or not you want to say it was Larry's fault, it happened on Larry's watch. So ultimately, I'm told the final offer that SMU was sitting at, you know, last week was um, it was technically a three year contract extension, but only about two million dollars was guaranteed. In other words, if they wanted to fire him after one year or, you know, midseason, they would only have to pay $2 million as opposed to the length of the contract. So let's say if it were a three-year deal and he was making almost $3 million a year, I'm told, roughly $9 million should have been guaranteed. SMU was only willing to guarantee 
two million. And Larry considered that insulting, and Larry considered that um, uh, a breaking point, and he he resigned on a Friday morning. Uh, right in the middle of the July evaluation period. Now, the rationalization you'll get from people who are close to Larry, because I've talked to people who are close to Larry, they say, hey, listen, he he didn't think it was right. He was he was a lame duck coach. Um, and more than anything, he just realized the administration no longer wanted him there. And so if the administration doesn't want him there, what else is he supposed to do besides leave? Which I find ridiculous um, because yeah, there are all – Yeah, because there are all sorts of administrations right now who probably don't want either their head football coach or head basketball coach or head baseball coach or whatever um, to be in charge right now. But for whatever reason, they haven't you know, been able to pull the trigger. Trigger, uh, Either they can't justify it with boosters or they want to give it a little more time or um, they can't afford to do it. But um, you know, there are guys working in college basketball right now. We don't have to name them, but whose, whose bosses would probably prefer them to not be there. But we have... This is the very essence of contracts, by the way. Right, right. And so, like, the idea, well, I had somebody ask me, well, Gary, what would you do if you were Larry Brown and you knew your administrators didn't want you? I would do my job. And then I would hope that when my contract was actually up, uh, I had changed their mind. Um, But, like, the the idea that, well, his administration didn't want him, so it was time to go. No, that's, that's... that, that, that's one way to explain it, I guess. The other way is he just bailed on his team. Like he just bailed on his team in, a, in, in probably the, t- the time frame that is most hurtful for a basketball program, right in the middle of the July evaluation period. In other words, if Larry Brown wanted to coach SMU this upcoming season, there was nobody stopping him. Even if SMU, the administration, had soured on Larry Brown, they weren't going to fire him. They weren't going to not, – not, not before this season. They were not going to not let him – coach uh this upcoming season if larry wanted to coach at some next season he would be allowed to do it he chose not to that's on him and i talked to somebody at peach gem actually um who's close with larry and they said you know and i've known this about larry for a while um first off he hates recruiting so it it always made sense that this would be the time for him to walk away like why 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 walk away in may why walk away in walk away uh walk away in june like you can take your big paychecks in may and june and I'm not saying college coaches don't work in May and June, but what I am saying is if you want to really unplug in May and June as a Division One basketball coach, like that's the time to do it. I'm not saying they all do. They all don't. But you can and get away with it. But in July, it's like there's no more like not working. You have to be on the road, you know, for probably 15 days of the month. Larry doesn't have any interest in that. So when it comes time to, ugh, if I'm not going to get what I want, I might, I might as well might as well bow out now. Like the timing wasn't surprising, even if the timing was abrupt. Um, beyond that, and I thought this was interesting, one of his friends, I guess you could say somebody who considers Larry a friend, said to me, um, you have to understand, for like four decades now, every time Larry has left the job, and by the way, he's never coached anywhere longer than six years, which was the other comical thing about the five-year extension. He'd already been there four so if he wants five, that means he plans to coach five, or at least that's what he's representing. That take him to nine years. He's never coached anywhere in his entire life more than six. I believe that was with the Pacers. And so um, they said, okay, every time Larry's left these jobs abruptly, um, irrationally, there's always been a phone call. Like he's never not been offered another job in his entire life. And so he just assumes that it'll work itself out. This is not somebody who had – Larry didn't tell anybody this, but they were just like, if you know Larry, first off, he has no hobbies. All he, he doesn't play golf. He doesn't like to read books on the back porch. He doesn't want to go fishing. He doesn't want to go hunting. 
He just likes watching film and coaching basketball. And he he probably in his somewhere in his head assumes that somebody's going to call and he'll be coaching again in a year or two. But it's not going to happen this time. Like, I really do think this is it. Like, who's going to hire him now? Because in the NBA, you have to understand, the front offices now, they're so new school as opposed to old school. They don't want head coaches like Larry Brown. People who are like old school, uh, let me run, let you, you, um, you can, you know, deal with the roster. I'm going to coach the team. I don't care about analytics. Like uh, front offices in the NBA, they don't work like that anymore. So he's probably not an attractive NBA candidate. And then in college, He's now going to be a 76-year-old with three NCAA uh, investigations on his watch as opposed to two. So, like, I don't think there's another job coming, but Larry probably does. And one of his friends told me he's going to look up in a month and go, oh, no, what did I do? Because he's going to have nothing to do because all he's ever done and all he's ever enjoyed doing is actually coaching basketball. So it's sort of a sad end to a, um, to a remarkable, a, a, a wild uh, career in some respects, but a, a remarkable coaching career. And and as I'm saying this, I, I feel like uh, it's, you know I should point out I like Larry Brown. Like on a personal level, I like Larry Brown. Like uh, he and I hosted a charity event in in Memphis a couple years ago. Um, I, I like on a personal level, I like Larry, but I couldn't disagree more with what he did here. And I think he will, whether he ever admits it or not. I think he'll ultimately regret walking away the way he walked away. Well, all right. So we'll wrap it up with this then. Was so when Brown was hired at SMU in 2012, uh, plenty of people were speculative of it, doubted it. I very much was one of those people. He's there for four years. They go to one tournament in those four years. Granted, they would have gone to a, two tournaments, one of them being this past year. Probably should have gone to three. Yeah, yeah, because they uh, in 2014 they won like 25 games. They were like they were considered a huge snub that year. Right. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, dust settles. They go to one tournament. They have the Moutier. Uh, first, it was you know a great get for the program. Then he never ends up playing, and it leads to NCAA violations. But they did go to the first tournament in more than two decades at SMU. So was hiring Larry Brown where we sit now, GP? Was it worth it for SMU to do what it did, or should it have gone after perhaps a different coach that you know? Maybe that coach would have only lasted four years, and SMU never gets to a tournament, or maybe it gets a coach that's going to be there seven or eight years and gets to a tournament regardless. We don't know what would have happened in that uh, circumstance, but with what we have seen and what Larry Brown did at the school, was the hire worth it? I think all things considered, yeah, probably. Um, I think so, too. Yeah, and in fact, the, the reaction I got from most SMU fans were, I hate that it ended this way, I hated the NCAA issues, but God, we had fun. The past four years have been fun. And, like, you have to remember what SMU basketball was before Larry Brown. Like, I've been to, what is it, Moody Coliseum? Yeah. Like, I've been to Moody Coliseum pre-Larry Brown. There ain't wasn't much going on there. Like, SMU was really, really bad. And while this hire seemed desperate at the time, I, I think you'd have to be um, lying to, to suggest that in terms of on-the-court success that it didn't work. Yes, it, it resulted in an NCAA investigation, and that was – uh, embarrassing on some level, but like North Carolina is going through one right now. Syracuse is going through one right now, whatever. Um, I, my, my, um, my experiences with fans, uh, suggest that they just like to have a good time. Like, just give me something to care about. Give me something to be excited about. And, you know, throughout the past, you know, they, they've won a conference championship. They've gone to the NCAA tournament. Oh, keep in mind, like when they actually went to the NCAA tournament, they got screwed because of that. And, like was it was it like a goaltending? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was uh, the UCLA. Uh, they called goaltending on SMU, and it shouldn't have been. 
Right. Yeah, so like they got screwed there, but um, they you know they filled the building. Um, you know they were relevant. They were. Yeah. Uh, they were. Really, un- that, that listen, winning matters most. But if you can't, if you're not going to be winning at a massive level, you need relevancy. And SMU was a top thirty program of relevancy yeah. ever since Larry Brown retired. So the NCAA stuff is not great. The way Brown exits is not great. Jankovic is a good coach. I'll be interested to see what I can see Jankovic having a nice. Honestly, I can see him having a nice five to seven year run. I don't necessarily think the program is going to take a huge dip, but they were relevant, and that's what matters most. And by the way, they were relevant at a time when they got put into the AAC, the American Athletic Conference, which is still trying to truly find its footing within college basketball overall. So they even overcame something of a little bit of a hurdle there. So ultimately good returns, and I would say that I was not necessarily wrong about the Brown hire, but... I think SMU came out better than I might have expected overall. I, I was wrong about it. I, I thought it was just like, what are you doing? Why would you hire however old he was at the time? Like, why would you hire this guy who hadn't been in college basketball forever? But SMU, I'll give him credit for this. They were they were smart in the sense that um, they didn't just pay for Larry Brown. They paid for him to have aggressive – I mean, this is partly what got them in trouble as well. But, but they paid for him to have aggressive assistants who went out sure. and, and – uh, and and really um, uh, successfully recruited high-level talent. And again, it is what got them in trouble. They were a little too aggressive. But um, it made for a relevant product over a four-year period. And um, I, I don't know that SMU had ever had a relevant basketball product for a four-year period like in my lifetime before that. So it, it ended predictably um, uh, under weird circumstances. Like, you know, Larry Brown resigned on a Friday morning in July. Like, that's, that's that was sort of predictable because he's always or, or uh, multiple times left jobs under weird circumstances. But in terms of just from the day he was hired to the day he resigned, uh, was SMU basketball relevant and enjoyable for the fan base? Um, yeah, I think I think probably so. Let's switch gears a little bit because you and Chip Patterson, our colleague here at CBS Sports, um, uh, worked on a project that is posting today. I haven't seen it yet. Um, you have not seen any of this yet. I have not seen any of this yet, but I want to talk to you about it because what you guys did is uh, for the past 16 seasons, basically this century, um, tr- tried to determine the the best football, bas- men's basketball combinations in college athletics. Um, let, let me ask this first. Did you guys use an actual formula or is this still just like your opinions? It is mostly formula based, but I did not do we didn't use a straight formula because the fact of the matter is if you went straight win percentage, uh, some of the teams in basketball and football, the strength of schedules wouldn't match. So that's not like a, a great gauge, because honestly, if we had done straight win percentage, um, I'll just give up one team that's not in it. Pittsburgh would have easily been a top 10 team because their basketball team schedules terribly every single season. <laughs> right. And we we looked at the combined uh, football and basketball programs, how many times they've been ranked for how many weeks over the years combined. Pittsburgh is always a ranked team. But the fact of the matter is Pittsburgh has not been a top 10 basketball program for the past 15, 16 years. Top 25, sure. And the football program has been OK. So we used the statistics as a guidepost, but then we did have like, okay, let's really break this down. If we're going between this team and this team, what should we do? So we looked at combined win percentage, the postseason win percentage, national titles, uh, appearances in a final four, 
a college football playoff in the past couple of years or prior to that, if you were in a major, you know, one of the five or six major BCS games, we looked at uh, conference championships. That being in football, it's built actually perfectly because you win your conference championship if you're at the end, at the top of the end of the year, and then you got to win that one game playoff. So it's perfect. In basketball, we only took the regular season conference championship because it's a better gauge than sometimes, you know, a really good team, just it, the, the league championship in the first week of March is not. So we, we eliminated that aspect of it. Then we looked at uh, the total t- uh, weeks the teams were ranked, and we also took into account how often either the football or the basketball program had seasons under 500. It wasn't a detriment, but in some cases, like I will give up one more for you. UCLA did not make the top 10 because although UCLA basketball has been to three Final Fours, they've had a tremendous amount of down years where they've been under 500. So it essentially eliminated them from even consideration because they have not the good didn't outweigh the bad overall so with that said gp for the listeners here let's have a little bit of fun the 10 best programs since the turn of the century 10 best schools in basketball and football let's see if you can get all 10 and how many guesses it take. all right i'm gonna start with florida florida yeah so let's just let's just have you guess the programs don't worry about where they're placed florida is number one Real quick, it's an obvious number one because it's the only school that's won a title in both sports. And not only that, they've won two titles apiece in football and basketball. So that's one of those things where the combined winning percentage of the programs isn't better than a couple of other schools. But there's just no doubt about it. Florida has to be the best pick no matter what. I'll go with Ohio State. Ohio State is the second uh, How about team this? on our list. It has the best combined win percentage of any two uh, programs. At uh, They've won 76% of their games between basketball and football since the turn of the century. I'm going to go with Michigan State. Michigan State is number six on the list. And you can – listen, basketball has not had a sub-500 season. Tom Ezzo gets to the tournament every year. We didn't even count because we wanted the seasons to be even – we did not even count Michigan State's 2000 title because we looked at uh, football since 2000. So if you go 2000 to 2015, that's 16 seasons. And we looked, if you looked at 16 basketball seasons, it's actually 2000 to 2001 to this past April. So without even counting that, Michigan State is in solidly at six. And a lot of that has to do with uh, the football program being so damn good the past three or four years because they did have a, some down years at the start of the century. Let's go with Wisconsin. Wisconsin is in, and they are in at number three, which okay. which surprised me a little bit. They have no national titles between either program, but they've been to six Final Four slash BCS college football playoff appearances. They have seven conference championships, total week, weeks ranked 339, and between both programs, only one time in the past 32 seasons have they been below 500. Okay, so in four guesses, I've got the top three, and I've got four of the top six. I'm doing okay, right? On your children's life, you have not looked at this GP because it is live now on the site as we record this. I swear to God on both of my children's lives. Okay, all right. I'm just, I'm just making sure. Even, even the one I like more. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I swear on his life as well. All right, let's continue. <laughs> I'm not just trying to swear on my, uh, on, on, on one of the child's life that I, I, I value less. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, to swear on both. Um, I have not looked at this. Okay, I felt really strongly about those four. Yep. This, this is where I'm sort of – I don't feel as strongly about them, but let's go. Okay. Um, Oklahoma. Oklahoma is in, and it's in pretty solidly at number four. Now, Oklahoma okay. has seven league titles. I'm oh, sorry. Um, Oklahoma has ten league titles. Ten. They are the most in this regard because the football team has been so good. Ten 
final four BCS college football playoff appearances. That's the most of any. 738 winning percentage. They've been total weeks ranked between both programs 403 times. Hold on, GP. Let me check. Florida's at 400. I believe Oklahoma has the most they do. So no school has had more appearances in the football and men's basketball AP polls over the, since the turn of the century than Oklahoma with 403. They were a pretty solid number four pick. All right. So I've got I've, I've picked five, and I've got five of the top six. Mm-hmm. Pretty strong, Norlander. I'm, okay. that, is, that, is, that is pretty good, yes. Now, I wonder if you'll get five here. It's not super tough. It's a little sneaky. But if you think about it, I think you can get it. I'm going to go Notre Dame. No, Notre Dame is 10, so they are on the list. Okay, good. They barely, and after we get our final 10, I'll get, they barely, and I mean barely, beat another program that I don't think you could guess if I gave you even seven extra guesses. Um, the numbers between Notre Dame and this other school in so many different areas that we looked are so close or straight-up identical. Ultimately, we put Notre Dame 10th because that other school had not had – uh, an appearance in football in uh, a national championship game, whereas Notre Dame had. Um, the basketball program has been consistently good. Right. The Notre Dame is in the polls frequently. They've only recently started to have some tournament success. The football team has been inconsistent, but there, but yeah, just, just enough. The thing that actually almost hurt Notre Dame was their postseason win percentage between both programs is – at about 43%. So they, they don't do well in in the biggest moments, but yes, ND is in. Okay, so I picked one, two, three, four, five, six. You are six for six right I'm now. six for six. Six for six so far. Okay. Oregon. Oregon is Oregon is in at number nine. How about this? Uh, the programs have won. Can I really get all ten without missing? I do this. It's not impossible, but it, I am surprised that you're actually seven for seven. Oregon has no national titles, eight league championships, only three seasons below 500 between both programs, and the football program has been so consistently good. And with the basketball program last season being strong, they were in, I would say, between Oregon and Notre Dame at 9 and 10, they kind of draw a line. And then when you get to number eight, we, we kind of debated Oregon with some other ones. But yes, Oregon rightfully in. West Virginia. No, West God. Virginia. I know West Virginia. I would say it was probably twelfth. Okay. It, it, yeah, they were close. Uh, that final four they went to, uh, where they lost against. Uh, what did they lose to? I'm trying to think. I wasn't. That was Indianapolis, right? Yeah, it's it when it's, Kentucky. It's when uh, they lose to Duke or uh, Butler. That was Indy. I did not go to that final four. Remember what's his name got, got hurt. I understand. Hugs came out and and wrapped yeah. his arms around them. Uh, I don't remember who they lost anyway, to. So I'm not good that, at that kind of stuff. I'm, that, not, I'm not good at remembering. <laughs> that, uh, there are listeners that are like screaming the names. They know of it. course um, they are. So that put them close. Just missed it. But see, West Virginia, like that's one of those schools where they've been just good enough in both sports over the years that they're, they're better than like West Virginia, for example, finished well above where Kentucky would have. Because even though Kentucky's been so insane in basketball, mm-hmm. they don't remotely warrant discussion because their football team isn't that good and duke likewise like duke's had a few strong seasons under cutcliffe but they're far under 500 this century in football so duke wasn't even they wouldn't have even made a top 25 if we made this kind of list Mm. whereas west virginia was 12 okay um god 
Uh, I feel like there. Listen, I feel like there's an obvious one that you should be guessing you haven't gotten to yet. Okay, is it? Is it Texas? It is Texas. Okay. Seven. Texas is seventh. One national title. Five Final Four slash BCS slash college football playoff appearances. The thing is, Texas, people might think it should be higher than seventh. Only four conference championships between both programs since the turn of the century, which was shocking to me. Um, they're always ranked. 362 weeks they've been ranked. Uh, overall win percentage is at uh, 71%. So they're in, but uh, but we did, we thought there was actually a pretty strong difference between, say, Texas and Michigan State at six. So we need two more teams. You need the team that's number five, and you need the team that's number eight. Ugh. Um, I don't feel strongly about this, but I've got it. Michigan. No, Michigan probably would have been about 14 or 15. Chip uh, was pretty adamant that Michigan shouldn't have been on the list. I said, let's just make sure, because they did make a title game. Like, for example, West Virginia didn't make a title game. A bunch of teams right in that cluster. Stanford didn't make a title game. I don't want to give away another team necessarily. So Stanford's not on the list. But they were close. Unfortunately, Michigan, similar to UCLA, has had too many years where it just has had too many bad seasons overall. Couldn't overcome it. What about Louisville? Louisville is number five on the list. All right. GP. Nice. Um, teams have won about 70% of their games. But see, this is one where Chip was definitely like he's, you know, he's so plugged into college football. The, the football program has won. I'm going to bring it up right now. So Louisville is the 17th winningest program in college football since the, since 2000, which is higher than I would have guessed. But it has basically been a top 25 program in football, and it's been a top six program in basketball since the turn of the century. Patino's been there. You know, we're going on a decade and a half now. They've combined for 10 league championships and only three combined seasons under 500. So, yeah, Louisville's in. So. Uh, you got Florida one, Ohio State two, Wisconsin three, o- Oklahoma four, Louisville five, Michigan State six, Texas seven. You need to guess number eight. Nine is Oregon. Ten is Notre Dame. Yeah, I don't, I don't know it. Um, I'm looking at schools and I can't. Nothing jumps out. Yeah. Um, is it? Is it? LSU? It's not. But LSU was strongly considered. The basketball team didn't warrant it. Is it Utah? It's not, and I did give a strong look at Utah, but the basketball team's had too many down years, and Utah's not quite strong enough. Is it? There's no way it's Baylor, is it? It's not. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a hint here, so we okay. can hurry this up. So it's a the basketball team you would not mark as a top thirty program. Okay, but. Historically, it's actually a, a program that's that's won plenty, although it hasn't been amazing over the past 15 years. And the football program is undeniably a power. Okay. Okay. Um, let me look. Let me look. Let me Back, look. I think the basketball program ranks second or third all time in its conference in in winning percentage. Okay. Well, people might not realize that. Okay, I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm looking through schools. Jeez. Um. Is it? Is it BYU? It is not. But I we really looked at BYU. Unfortunately, they just have not 
been relevant and successful enough. They haven't gotten to a Final Four, you know, major BSCS playoff games, but they are their winning percentage is really good. BC, BYU would crack a top 15, I think. Is it USC? It's not because the USC basketball is too down. Right. I don't know. Kind of you're in this. Yeah, I'm thinking on USC. Think more like, like, you know, that's the right mold and model that I was describing. Is it Boise? It's not. No, it's not Boise. I mean, they've been insane in football, but the basketball program. Right. I was thinking maybe basketball. Maybe. um... Man, I bet you there are people listening to this right now. Oh, they they have it, right? They're like, I know it's got to be the school that he hasn't said yet. You want me to tell you or you want to keep guessing? Is it is – it, it's not Miami. It's not, but again, you're kind oh, of – Oh, I got it. I know exactly what it is. What is it? Is it Oklahoma State? No. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it – I don't know. Tell me. It's the Alabama Crimson. Oh, God. Alabama. So, I should have just gone. Yeah. Yeah, the combined win percentages at Bama are better than Oregon, better than Notre Dame, um, close to Michigan State. Obviously, the football, we put them in base because the football has been so freaking good. Now, shockingly, the, the two programs have combined for four seasons under 500, but and only five conference championships, which shocked me because Bama bet hoops has won. Football only has four, quote-unquote, only. You just might think there might be more than that, but they've been in the uh, Final Four slash uh, college football playoff BCS seven times, and that is all, that's all Alabama football. So yeah, they were eight. It was really fun, um, and and a really cool thing. The one takeaway I had from this GP, because I did something kind of similar but not uh, a couple of years back. I wanted to actually like look at multiple recruit. Like this is 16 years. So in football, it's basically four full recruiting cycles. Basketball, depending on the school, it's anywhere from honestly six to 12. Um, but I want so you might have one or two or three coaches. I just wanted to see which programs really had truly sustained it in the modern era. And my takeaway is honestly, it's really, really hard to be extremely good at both. I mean, you could make the case that Florida, Ohio State, and Michigan State modern and maybe Oklahoma, like they're, they're the only ones that are like truly I'm talking like have national title slash final four expectations to be able to pull it off in both sports over the course of one or two recruiting generations, so to speak, it's super, super hard. Um, so the schools that had done this over kind of like a 16 year period, you even see there's plenty of flaws. All these programs have at least a season below 500 and many of them that are even on the list have four or five. Um, I, you know, aside from winning is just generally hard. I'm not quite sure uh, why there aren't more kind of clear cut here. But it just it is what it is. In so many cases, you have, you know, Duke, Kansas, even schools that didn't have football, like Villanova doesn't have football and it's been good. But, you know, Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, the schools that are really, really good in basketball for them to just even be top 30 good in football uh, for most of them, it's tough to pull off. Uh, make sure to go check that out at CBSSports.com. Like Norlander said, it is posted uh, right now. A couple more notes before we get out of here really quickly. Um, some recruiting news. Big uh, get for Illinois and Coach John Gross earlier this week. Jeremiah Tillman, a 6'10 forward. Consensus top 25 recruit picked Illinois over Carolina, Kansas, Michigan State, and Texas. You know, John's been there four seasons now. He's 29-43 and 43 in Big Ten games, but he's been crazy unlucky with injuries and off-the-court issues. He lost, of course, uh, Darius Paul last offseason after 
he was in Italy going crazy, <laughs> like getting arrested. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> right. And then Kendrick Nunn, um, uh, he lost earlier this offseason after a, a domestic incident. Lost point guard Tracy Abrams for each of the past two seasons um, because of injuries. One was Achilles, one was a knee. Uh, so this has some, been some rare good news for, for John Gross and for that Illinois program, at least in recent years. Went to the NCAA tournament first year. Um, hasn't been back since. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I don't want to say this upcoming season's a make or break season, but um, obviously needs to to get some more wins and 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 stay healthy, I guess, and and also uh, put together a recruiting class because uh, sometimes doing that, a uh, solid recruiting class can can extend your career, at least give you an extra year at a school that you might not get an extra year at. So we'll see how that goes. And then um, before we get out of here, I just uh, wanted to say uh, our, our thoughts are obviously with Dave Luce, the Austin P coach. Uh, it was um, announced earlier this week. He uh, had a, a checkup at a hospital earlier this off season. Uh, they found a malignant tumor. He had it removed, but the cancer um, had already spread. And so he's away from the team now and uh, going to go uh, undergo chemotherapy. And it's just uh, scary stuff for, for a good man, I've known Dave for a, a long, long time, so it just uh, ugh, made me sick when I when I heard this news um, earlier this week. Austin P. officials have said that uh, they anticipate Dave coaching the season, and and I hope they're right. Uh, I hope they are. GC, just real quick on that, um, Luce is like the third or fourth longest tenured coach in D1, I believe. Um, just took him to the tournament. People that are diehard college hoops fans will remember that his grand. Uh, child's also battling uh. cancer and that was you know so the whole family has been unnecessarily affected by the disease and i certainly hope so he's just you know he's an old school basketball mind super nice gentleman i've spoken to him on the phone like twice before for just random stories and he was totally accommodating fantastic stuff um so yeah the best of health to him before we give up on the podcast here two things one i didn't say that mystery school that beat notre dame Actually, Cincinnati, mm. who was way better than people think in both basketball and football. So they were really, really, really close. And uh, shout out to Devin Downey. Shout- you gonna, I don't know if you're going to forget that. Before I, put it out there. I have it. No, I have it noted in, in my podcast. Okay. Now. It's always it's it's the only thing in my podcast notes that is always um, at, a, at a at a font size greater than everything else. And uh, bolded. Shout out to Devin Downey, indeed. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. It's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Uh, thank you all a lot for listening. We'll talk to you again next week, probably uh, from Las Vegas. So that'll be interesting. Till then, yeah. <laughs> take care. <laughs>